Hi, um, my name is Bill Cumby. I'm a teacher at uh, First Church Ministries, and we're going through the book of Ephesians. We're, uh, this is the halfway mark, and we're actually in chapter 4 now. I want to open us in prayer, and then I want to take a look at, uh, do a real quick review, since we're midway, and then talk about uh, chapter 4, it talks about uh, unity of the church. Lord, we thank you for the time we have. We thank you for your love to us your great desire for us to draw closer to you and to love you more. Lord, I pray that we might be able to do that. I pray that we might encourage one another to do that. I pray that we might draw closer to each other, love each other more, and that that worship would turn towards you, that we would love you most of all. And uh, Lord, that we would be rejoicing in your plan to unite all things together under Christ. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so uh, we're in Ephesians. Again, you see here on the, the first screen just the, the key verses of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. And, and really that is uh, um, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So we, we see that uh, Ephesians is the mature thinking of Paul. This is Paul actually after he's been a Christian for 25 to 30 years. Uh, and which was preceded by a very devout Jewish background. So his knowledge is immense, and he has gone through quite a bit, and he's actually penned Romans by this time, which is uh, many considered his magnum opus as far as the gospel of Christ goes. And uh, Ephesians is a book about the church, but interestingly enough, the, uh, it's a book about the church that focuses on Christ. So uh, it, Christ is mentioned much, much more than the church is mentioned. And yet, this is a book about the church, and so. Uh, but the church is, the church doesn't exist without Christ, and so it, it, he has to talk about that. And I want to go through a real quick review. We talked about chapter one, the first half of chapter one, that God works in our redemption, that the Father predestined us in love to be uh, chosen and chose us to be adopted in Christ as sons, and that the the Son actually, Christ actually. Um, gave us redemption through his blood. There was a sacrifice made for that, um, and that uh, the Holy Spirit seals us. And so we see God working in, in, uh, from beginning, before eternity started. Uh, he predestined us, and we see the Son in time um, sacrificing himself for us and, and uh, being resurrected from the dead and now seated with the Father. And we see the Holy Spirit sealing us as a uh, deposit for what will come, what is, is going to come. And so he talks about, he, he goes into prayer in the second half of chapter 1, talks about the hope of our calling, the hope of our calling to be united with Christ uh, and the power that we actually have through Christ. And again, um, this is a book about the church. And again, Christ is in the forefront of this, but so is the Spirit because the Holy Spirit, again, empowers us to live lives pleasing to God. And so we see, and we go into chapter 2, uh, verses uh, one, chapter 2, 1 through 10, that we, we were walking in death and now we're walking with God. So we see at the very beginning, chapter 2, he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked. And then we see, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, you know, that he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive in Christ and raised us up with him to be seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we're going to talk a little bit more about what it means to be seated in the heavenly places of Christ Jesus, and not in this lesson, but the one that's coming, the second half of chapter 4. But then it ends where we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so there's a contrast here. We see one of the themes in Ephesians. It's, it's not the major theme, but it's a, an important theme is how we used to walk and how we walk now. And again, we're going to get more into that in chapter, the second part of chapter 4. Uh, today we're, we're, we're going to talk a little about the unity of the church and how the church should be unified. But um, we, we see that in chapter 2. And then we see in the second half uh, of chapter 2 that we, it tells us, remember at one time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and with God in the world, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off and been brought near by the blood of Christ. And, and just the, um, the phrasing and the imagery there is just a, a person who is he's basically in an ocean and is going to drown, and, and all of a sudden a Savior comes and tosses them a ring, and all of a sudden you are part of somebody. You, you, you belong. And so uh, this is a rich um, truth that he, he expresses. And then he, he's going to um, go ahead and um, he goes on into chapter 3. Um, and he's going to start talking about the church now because we're all one. And he starts out and he says, um, For this reason I, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And all of a sudden that trips him off. So it's good to know that even the best <laughs> go off on rabbit trails. <laughs> and Paul goes off on a rabbit trail here and he talks about the mystery. Again, he, go, he says, surely you've heard about my stewardship of God's grace and the mystery. And he says, in, in verse 6, he says, and the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, uh, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so he goes off about talking about his stewardship and the mystery. And then he's going to go off in the second part of chapter 3 about a, a prayer for us to understand things. And he's going to circle back in chapter 4 about what he was going to start talking about, and, and we'll come to that. But I want you to see this. I also want you to see that this is God's word, okay? And God intended this. And so sometimes excursuses are where God wants us to go and track down things. So when it happens, sometimes it's just our own uh, stuff, but, but, but God can lead us through the Spirit into other areas that then, then, then um, expand. And here, I want, to, I want to point out here that this is not just about the Gentiles, okay? It's not just about the Jews and the Gentiles being united in Christ. It's about all things being united in Christ. And so the, the, the current example and the most important example for Paul, because he's talking about the church now, is that there is not a separate Jewish church and a Christian church. There's not the Jewish people and the Christians. It's, it's, it's all, we're all believers in Christ, okay? And then they're... they're, they're the background of Judaism now has to reach fulfillment and fruition in Christ, and Christians need to appreciate all that the Jewish nation has, has brought forth in Christ uh, to prepare for Christ. And so we get that, and one of the things here is, he says, so that through the, the church, the manifold wisdom of God may be known, made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So it's not all about us, okay? There is more to this than just earth okay this is a, a fairly cosmic book this talks about all things being united with christ um that the, the the whole all of creation is part of god's plan not just us and uh but we hold a special place there is no there the union we have with christ as a church uh, i says not only in ephesians but in other areas is unique okay so all things will be united to christ but not all in the same way 
So just like all will bow the knee to Christ, one day every knee will bow to Christ. Not all will bow as Lord and Savior, but all will bow to Christ. And, and so uh, all you be united with Christ, and yet there's a special union, a union so uh, special and sacred that, that Paul draws upon the uh, example that God gave us in, in man and woman, husband and wife, and says that that's just, that's just a shadow of what's out there. And so we'll get to that a little bit later, but right now um, I want to go into the second part of chapter 3, where he talks about, he, he bows, his, uh, bows his knee to the Father, and uh, his, his hope is that Christ will dwell in our hearts through faith, um, and, and that because of that we'd be able to know the love of Christ. Okay, so the end game, it, the mystery is that all will be united with Christ, but that's not really the end game. The end game is, in the purpose of God, is that we would love God, that we would know God, okay? The, the, the union is just a means to accomplish the full love and, uh, that, we, that God wants us to know. And so, so this is a very big mystery. It's, it's such, it's such uh, uh, it's so wonderful that it's easy to want to underplay it because it's almost too big to know, okay? We don't become God, okay? And that, that is an error that, that uh, certain sects have had. But that's, but that's not, that's not uh, in some ways, at least they've approached that close. I mean, they've gone beyond the, the round, but most of us tend to underplay it and tend to think of ourselves as one day we'll be with God and he'll be like the king and ruler and everything else. No, the, the imagery is much more intimate than that. Yes, he will be our king and ruler, but there's more to it than that. There's more to it either, even than uh, that he'll be our father. Uh, there's a union there that's special. And so he wants us to understand that because, again, that's, that's the purpose of history, okay, is to bring all things united to Christ in, in, in union. So, um, so that's our review. And again, I'm, I'm going back to chapter 3 now where he starts out. I want to compare chapter 3 with the beginning of chapter 4 so you can see he picks back up where he was going to get started, okay? So he says, for, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he goes off, assuming you've heard of the stewardship. You know, he's, 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 he's about ready to say something. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. He's going to, and, and then in chapter 4 we see, I, therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy, Okay. So he's, he's saying, we're all united in Christ, we're one in Christ, the Gentiles and Jews are one, and he's getting ready to urge us into this, this chapter to, to be unified and, and as a church, uh, and he goes off in the excursus, and then he comes back in this. And, and the only, again, the real reason to say that is, is um, uh, a couple of things. One is that others go on in excursus too, and it's good um, at times. And the other thing, too, is this is very similar to Philippians, which he also wrote around this time, where he urges us to live a life worthy. He says uh, that your mind should be the same as Christ, who, who uh, being in the very form of God, did not hold the quality of God something to be grasped, but, but made himself a servant. Okay? And then, he, then the next, after that passage, a beautiful hymn that, that's recorded that apparently had been passed down and already formed and passed down among people, uh, he says, I urge you to live a life worthy, you know, that, that you would work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God to, at, at work within you. And so he gets here in chapter, chapter 4. So that's where we are. Um, and I'd like to read this section, and then I have a, a few slides on it just to explicate it a little bit more. Um, I, therefore, 
a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he may fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip saints for the work of the ministry, for building up in the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by the craftiness and its deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint uh, with which it is equipped, uh, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And sorry about the stumble at the end, because I'm already thinking about extra stuff I need to talk about in there as I read it, uh, but we'll get to it. Um, so we start in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. He says, Therefore, um, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've been called. So we've been called to something, okay? Um, interestingly enough, he doesn't start talking about doctrine. We're going to get to doctrine, see verse 4 in here and later on. But, but, but you would think, I urge you to live in a manner worthy of the calling, that you would believe the right things, that you would honor God as he truly is and stuff like that. But he doesn't say that, okay? And it's important, and it gets to it. But, but this is the, so when, when we were raising kids, the, the one prayer um, that my, my wife had for all our kids all the time was that they would be kind, that, that our children would be kind children, okay? And um, it, it's sort of like uh, when the rich young ruler says, good teacher, what do I, and he says, and Jesus comes back and says, why do you call me good? There's only one good. Sometimes the word good is underplayed. Good is, is good, it's pure, it's, and kind is sometimes underplayed. And, and here he's talking about the fact that you've been called, with, and you should have a unity in humility and gentleness and patience. By the way, I, I meant to cut that, I didn't, I didn't apparently separate that right, but that's a trinity there, okay? Humility, gentleness, and patience. You're going to see some triads in here, okay? So with all humility and with gentleness and with patience, there's a... There's, there's a, um, the words form more than their individuality, okay? There, there's a humility and a gentleness and a patience. It's so, sort of a defining who we are, and it, it's goodness, okay? It, it's, it's care for and respect for one another, okay? Right now, we're in the midst of this coronavirus situation, and there's a lot of polarizing opinions of how, how bad things are and how things should be treated and stuff, and there's not a lot of charity out there, okay? And so Paul could just say, uh, and he does say, bearing one another in love, but, 
that love can become a very amorphous word, and in, 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 in English it becomes very, very amorphous. Like I love candy, or I I love Saturdays, or I you, 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 love can be just like it can be. Uh, I like a lot. It could be, but so Paul sort of fills this out here and says, true love will have humility. You'll be humble to say, well, maybe I'm not right all the time. There'll be a gentleness. Maybe they're wrong, but how can I correct this in a gentle way? You know, with patience. You know, they might see things later, okay, yeah, right now. So, and when they do, I'm not going to crow about it. <laughs> you know, so there's this, this, this feeling in this ch- the church. Now, the church, you think, um, well, yeah, that's the church. I tell you this, okay, churches are one of the worst places for this thing because when you go to church, you expect everyone else to act like a Christian, okay? And your expectations are that they're going to be the ones practicing this, not you, okay? And so churches get very, it's like how they treat pastors sometimes. Pastors get treated very poorly because they're pastors. They're supposed to take it, you know? And it's sort of like, <laughs> no. <laughs> but, but, but see here, there's a unity that he's striving after, okay? Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Why is that important? Think about it. why is that important? I mean, if, 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 if our faith is really individual, okay, we come to Christ individually, why is that, that important? And, and the answer is because we don't come to Christ individually. Yes, each of us that become believers must pass through a, a belief in, in Jesus as Lord and Savior. But we come in, we, we leave one community and we come to another community when we believe in Christ. We, the community of man gets transformed to the community of God, but we're, it doesn't, we don't come individually to Christ and stay individually in Christ. We come as a community. And the, the spirit is important. So one of the things we're learning here, I, I, I think one of the, so we don't have church now. Uh, where people are to be able to sit down right now. For right now, we've got to watch from our TVs, and we, we do that. I do that with my family, and it's nice to have my family around, but it's not the same thing. And, and I think for far too often, or for, far too long, excuse me, um, American Christians have taken for granted the ability to gather freely. And so we have actually gathered together less as the years have gone on. When I first became a believer in the late 70s, um, I went to church Sunday school in the morning and Sunday in church, and then I went Sunday evening, and then I went Wednesday, and I was involved in at least one Bible study at all times, sometimes more. Now, a lot of people going to church on Sunday is a big deal. When, you know, that, he's talking about here that there's more to the Christian life than us individually. Us as a group, as a community is important. And so... Um, I'm not sure we'll have some, we're going to have some more time to explore that as we get on in, in Ephesians, but really you can't plumb the depths that quickly. It's, it's something that, that it's, it's a journey on this. But the Christian faith is not an individual faith. Okay, um, one thing Islam uh, when they, they it does hinder. They do have pilgrimages and there's Mecca and Medina and there's pilgr- and there's group activities. But one of the things Islam teaches is you can worship individually as well as corporately, and so. So it is a hindrance that they can't gather together in, in a mosque, is it like, or just like Christians can't gather in a church. But it's not an essential part of what it is in there. And that's the difference in the Christian teaching because Christians are taught that we're part of a body. At least we're supposed to be taught that we're part of a body. Um, th- there's a streak in America that um, is very 
uh, self-reliant and independent. And uh, I really appreciated uh, Paul Tripp, who is a, a teacher that I really respect, um, called it for what it is, it's sin, okay? And I remember he says, it's independence is sin. And, and it's not just independence, um, you say independent from people, but I'm dependent on God and that's not sin. No, independence from man is sin too. Independence from the church is sin. We are not taught that. Paul very clearly teaches in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, which has a long exposition of the body, that is important to be part of the body. And so this is, though, the problem is, is I'd love to get together with the body, but there's some weird people out there. <laughs> there's some and, and, and Paul's saying, um, they're your family. You're going to have to put up with them. Okay? Not only they're family, they're part of your body. So you better get used to it, okay? Uh, this is something, so we are not going to be alone in heaven. We're going to be with others. Part of what's going on here in the church is to teach us to be part of a body. And so I think we've ignored that. I think, I think part of this virus situation is hopefully going to turn us back to the fact that um, meeting as a body is important. And, and, uh, and we're going to talk about why that's important, too. There's, there's many reasons, but one of them is that we just like to be, we want to be with other people. We, we want to be accepted and loved, and that's part of that. Um, and then he talks about there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, uh, one faith, uh, I'm sorry, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over, of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so I want you to see here, there is some doctrinal stuff here. Um, it's, it's soft doctrinal, and I'll, I'll talk to you what I mean by that. It, it's, not a, um, uh, it's not a creed. Like, like there actually is a creed in Philippians where he says, Christ, who, who in being a very nature of God, did not think it uh, quality God something to be grasped. This is, this is more of a, um, an evocative type of thing, um, that there's one body and one spirit. And again, catch that, one body and one spirit. So there, we're all one body, but we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. We cannot function properly as the body without the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about that more in the next lesson. But, but, but the key here is that we are not left to our own devices to be humble or gentle or patient or loving, that the Holy Spirit changes our lives in that. And as he changes our lives in that to one another, he enables us to be that way with God. Okay, So there's a, how can you love what you do not see when you don't love what you do see? Uh, and we're going to talk again a little bit more about that in the next, the next section when we talk about life together. But the point of this is, is, is our, um, this is almost a, um, a kindergarten for us to learn how to love and to care for one another. Um, God wants us to love him and care for him, not that we give him anything that he needs, but that, that our love has a, um, is more than just a fuzzy feeling type thing. And so this is sort of the playground, kindergarten, the training grounds or whatever, that we learn those things. So as we love others more, we learn to love God more too. Uh, so he talks about that with the Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. And then, then you get this triad again, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Okay? And then you get another triad, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So, so the Trinity comes out again here. So I want to talk about this because this is part of the doctrinal issue thing. Um, 
is it really one God or is it Trinity? I mean, it sort of seems like you're speaking on both sides of our mouth. So, so the, the Shema, or Shema, wherever you want to pronounce it, my, my Hebrew is execrable, um, uh, really means to hear or to pay attention to it. That's the, the, the Hebrew word Shema. And uh, it, that Shema is Deuteronomy 6.4, and it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Okay? Uh, and that was, uh, that was the word that was uttered by many Jews as they were slaughtered for their belief in God. Okay? And uh, millions of Jews died horribly rather than deny the Shema, the Lord our God is one. Is there indeed a cruel irony there if we say God is one and yet there was always a trinity there? I mean, couldn't God have sort of helped them here? And let me, under, let me understand what God was doing with Israel, okay? Um, which, of which we have the heritage of, okay? It's not like, see, this is where we mistake. They got it wrong. They didn't get it wrong. They got it right. God was teaching them that there is only one God. One God who created all things, who controls all things. There, is not, there are not different gods for different areas and different people and different things. There's one God. And that had to be driven home. In no way could anything else be driven home because they had to get that really tightly. Okay? Um, now, we're going to talk a little about the Trinity section, but, but uh, let me jump ahead a little and say many people believe in the Trinity are really tritheists. They believe in three gods, or generally a lot of times two gods, Father and Son, and the Holy Spirit gets knocked out completely. But, but, but we, don't, we, we, we act like they're different. And so the Trinity is not revealed yet in the Old Testament because God, um, Israel is the womb of the Christ, the womb of the Messiah. And it was, they weren't ready until they understood one God, one God, one God. There's not, there's one God, okay? Um, and, and that had to be over and over and over because there is no other than God, okay? But why, what about the Trinity then? Why is that so important? It's important because God in this very essence is Trinity, okay? And you say, what does that mean? It means that God who is one, has manifested himself in the time-space frame as three, okay? Not that he is three, but that there are three. It's not, again, we get in trouble here. It, it, there's a, a heresy called Sabalism that says that God appears in three modes, sometimes as father, sometimes as son, but they're, they're modes. They're sort of, a, but that, they're, they're not reality, that God is not three. We can't understand this, okay? Because we're in time, space, and, and as I said earlier, one of the things, the Mobius strip, you can't imagine a one-sided piece of paper. Fish can't imagine what air is like, you know, or, or certainly space, the vacuum space is like, because um, they're surrounded by water. We're surrounded by space, time, and we can't understand this thing, except to understand that God, though, one is more, okay? Um, there's, there's, there's something in God that, that can't be divided and yet is not all uniform type thing. And so, um, so why is that important? Well, because there is one God and he created all things and he came to earth and lived and died for us and now lives in us as the Holy Spirit. Those are important teachings because Christ 
the mystery is that Christ has come to earth to unite us with God, okay? Not that we become God, but to unite us in a way that we would never be able to imagine, okay? That, and the Holy Spirit dwells in us now to help us continue on with that. And so, so the Trinity is important, but the tri- to, to have talked about the Trinity in the Old Testament would have been premature. Um, and so God withheld that blessing. That's a blessing, okay, to know that. It said prophets have longed to look into what's going on here. First so, uh, Peter talks about the prophets search trying to find out this, and they couldn't find it out because we weren't ready for it yet. But now that we see Trinity, we need to not forget that God is one. There is only one God. And now Paul's saying there is only one God, and there is only one way to God, through God, through Christ. Okay? And so that's the teaching here. Um, so let's go on to the next section. We spent a lot of time on that, but, but this is the last section here. Um, uh, actually, the last slide in the presentation. Uh, and... and um, but, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, uh, there's two words for gifts in, in the um, New Testament. One is like charis, charismatic gifts of the Spirit, and the other is, um, now my mind escapes me, but it's something like doet, uh, and, and it means just gift. It's just a gift. It's not tied with God or anything else. And the word here is gift, okay? It's not a gifts of the Spirit or anything else. It's just like, I give you a present, okay? And he says, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And then this message about him, he, what does it mean that he ascended, but that he also descended. And they led captives in his train and gave gifts, okay? And then we're going to get into this section 11. So these are the gifts. The gifts God has given the church are apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And the purpose of those gifts is to equip the saints for works of the ministry. So these gifts are these gifts. The people that in these positions are not the gifts to do the work. It's to prepare God's people to do the work. So, so the, 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 even even here when he talks about the evangelist, the gift of an evangelist is not to do evangelism. It's to prepare God's people to do the evangelism. Okay. It's, it's teachers are to prepare us. To, and so the, there's this, this gifts that God has given us. God has not left us alone. He's given us gifted leaders. That's one of the reasons why we need to be in church and doing things, because we need our leaders, okay? God has given us something special, okay? Um, you may not agree with this, but government is a blessing of God. <laughs> and that's scriptural, so I, don't care, I really don't care if you don't believe it or not. It is a gift of God, and, and even bad government is better than no government. Okay, I, 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 That's a subject for another discussion. But, but, but here, um, it, the reason government is a blessing is because government creates structure and order and, right and, and of course, is right and wrong. The, the ministry of the church does that for lack of a better word, on steroids. It, it's, it's so much more that we have so much more ability and power in these gifts and these gifted people in the spirit to do things, to change the world that we wouldn't have otherwise. And yet we ignore that, okay? We sit around and we watch our sitcoms and stuff like that. I'm as guilty as anyone on the, the fact that sometimes we kill time distracting ourselves when we could be redeeming the time. And, you know, with these, we were teaching and with worship and fellowship. 
Um, and the idea is till we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children. Right now, when you become a believer, you're a little kid, you don't know anything, but, but we no longer be children tossed to and fro. I love that, that to and fro. I, I love the, the, the image there of the ways carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning craft, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Doctrine is important, and the gifts here that, that God gives, the people he gives, are to help us so we don't get carried away by that doctrine. Not so we get nasty and isolated with one another over doctrine, but that we believe the truth, and it's important that we have teachers to do that. Um, but rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way, into him who is the head in Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so there's this image here of the body working as a whole, okay, not individual. So it, it's, uh, um, it's a beautiful imagery here that we ignore at our peril. We're going to go into a section now. He talks about how we should live in Christ, but, but when he talks about that, and he's focusing a lot on individuality as well as group, but a lot of how we should be individually. We need to lose, not lose sight of the fact that this is for a greater purpose. It's not for me to become knowledgeable about Christ or for me to have more time with Christ. It's for the church to grow in Christ, okay? Um, again, we've become very selfish and self-centered. We look into our own interest. And, and uh, you know, again, in Philippians, Paul talks about you should not look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. This is, this is what we should be doing. We ignore this at our peril, and it, it, it fragments us as a church. And quite frankly, it makes us very similar to unbelievers, okay? So there's a, we're going to talk about this next section. There's an old self in us, and there's a new self. And we're going to talk about that in this next section. Um, this is a warning against that, the fact that we are now into a body and there's something different going on now. Um, we'll close this in prayer and we'll go into the next section. Lord, we thank you for the time we have together. We thank you for your love to us. Thank you that you have made us part of a body, that we are not orphans, that we are not alone, that, that there, there is not a separation there, but that you have brought us brothers and sisters, encouragers, teachers, um, and Lord, I pray that we might depend on them and grow closer to them and love them more and that that would help us love you more and draw closer to you. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.